0: Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. This week, a look at the future of shopping malls in southern Arizona. The weekend after Thanksgiving is traditionally the start of the busy season for retailers. Black Friday used to be marked by waves of people heading to their local shopping mall, seeking big discounts on gifts for the holidays or a little something for themselves but those spaces are notably less crowded now than they've been in the past. So what does that mean for their future? That's where I started my conversation with Alexandra Lang, an architecture and design critic and author of Meet Me by the Fountain, an inside history of the mall.
1: There's been a big change in the the footprint of Black Friday, shall we say, Uh, because when malls were first developed, The story is that the size of the parking lot was actually sized for Black Friday shopping, this kind of max shopping day of the year. And I think over the past five to 10 years, internet shopping has really taken over a lot of the role of Black Friday. I mean, the the role of internet shopping and online shopping has been overstated in the demise of the mall, but you can see in the way that, you know, websites like Amazon with Prime Days and lots of other retailers start to have sales earlier in November than Black Friday, that they're all kind of picking off pieces of that market. People are primed to shop for sales at this time, but it can start a lot earlier and you don't have to leave your house and you're just competing online to see how fast you can click. And honestly, that's better given some of the you know deaths that have happened in Black Friday's stampedes. But yeah, all of that has slowly chipped away at the uh, like on the ground importance of Black Friday. And I think also we're seeing this year that the whole Christmas shopping season is just starting a heck of a lot earlier.
0: So Tucson has been losing shopping malls. Uh, One closed a couple of years ago. Now it's a call center. Another was converted to an open-air shopping center also some years ago. A third is soon to undergo redevelopment into a multi-use space with shops and offices and condos. We still have a few malls around more if your definition includes the mall-like shopping centers that are open air. How does Tucson compare to the rest of the country?
2: That sounds
1: like pretty much what I'm seeing in the rest of the country. I mean, there are a lot of different percentage predictions about mall die-off, but the U.S. has for a long time been over-malled, so in some ways, uh, this is a correct adjustment to the amount of shopping that we need you know, per population, but it also sounds like the mix of things that are happening at Tucson's malls really track with what's happening elsewhere. Uh, one of the most positive signs, I think, for mall conversions is things like the mixed-use center that you just mentioned, where... People are building housing in the parking lot using the core of the original e- retail, but adding you know more entertainment uses, gyms, and also offices. So you create a whole little mixed-use neighborhood where there used to be you know a big boxy mall in the middle of a parking lot.
0: Now you said the U.S. was over-mauled, and as someone who was a teen in the 80s, um, you know. My generation might disagree, or at least back then would have disagreed. what if, What did you mean by over mauled?
1: Well, if you look at the statistics for you know kind of number of malls per person in the u s, it's like way, way higher than in almost any other country, including you know highly developed rich, highly developed countries in Europe, um you know South America, Asia. So we just really built too many malls for the amount of shopping that people actually do. And in general, that was because mall developers tended not to worry if there was another mall in a city, they would just go 10 miles further out and build a new mall and people would have flocked to the new mall because you know part of the reason you go to the mall is for newness your know, newness of things in the stores newness of the decor maybe this mall had a better food court etc cetera, etc cetera. so they call that cannibalization in the mall business and literally one mall developer would just cannibalize the shoppers from another mall and then the 10 year old mall would die so it was a highly predictable outcome, but it meant that most cities had you know twice or three times as many malls as they needed.
0: You mentioned those more upscale malls, maybe with big anchor stores in them. We're certainly seeing that in Tucson, that any new mall that's been built in the last 20 years is more of an upscale or an outlet mall. It is, again, that what we're seeing across the country
1: yeah, that is what we're seeing across the country. And I think that the, the death of the department store is actually a more important part of the story than the death of the mall. Because some malls are dying, yes, but some malls are very much alive. But I think the bankruptcies of all of these major department store chains have been a huge drag on the mall. And I don't think department stores are coming back. I just don't think that's the way people want to shop anymore. And department stores really lost the glamour that they had, say, in my grandmother's era, where she was devoted to Lord & Taylor, right? There is no Lord & Taylor anymore. For those kind of middle range, middle income malls to come back, I think they really have to think creatively about how to replace those anchor stores. Uh, And we're seeing people replace them with entertainment things, um, you know, Trampoline parks, fancy gyms that have climbing walls, indoor roller rinks—things that people have to leave the house for.
0: Yes, I think my grandmother, if she was still with us, uh, would have lost her mind when Lord and Taylor's went went down. That was that was her store, right? Absolutely. <laughs> So your book talks about an early vision for malls kind of by their innovator as a mixed-use space that would replace a downtown. We've got at least one mall that's being developed in such a way here. How common is it to turn a shopping mall, which is out-of-date by today's standards, into that more mixed-use space?
1: I don't have— actual numbers on that, but it is a fairly popular strategy. I mean, one of the things that's happened is those older malls tend to be in inner ring suburbs. And those are suburbs that have gotten much denser and also much more diverse over time. And so the people now living in those suburbs look really different demographically from the kind of, uh, you know, white family with a husband who goes to work and a mom that stays home and 2.5 kids that were the people who lived in the suburbs in the 1950s. And so the people living in those suburbs want more walkable communities. They want a more diverse array of stores. Maybe they want to work from home but have a place that they can go to every once in a while for a, a meeting, so co-working spaces. So turning those formerly single-use retail spaces into more mixed-use villages actually makes a lot of sense. And as you mentioned, that was part of Victor Gruen, the father of the shopping mall's original vision for Southdale and Edina, Minnesota, which was the first indoor shopping mall in the U.S. He thought it would be the core of this new community that would have medical facilities and schools and high-rises, but the kind of wave of Single family home builders took over and made it into a much more isolated environment.
0: You brought up internet shopping, which of course boomed with the pandemic. And I know talking to some higher end employees at Amazon, they now refer to malls and big box stores as the showroom, where people go to see the piece. And then as they're walking out of the store or ordering on Amazon, you know, on the way back to their car and not buying there. Do you have any thoughts on how the malls work with the Internet? Because it seems like the Internet is here to stay or Internet shopping is here to stay.
1: Internet shopping is here to stay, but it's definitely been a smaller percentage of retail sales historically than people thought. Like pre-pandemic, it was maybe 15 percent of retail sales and it went up to like 30 to 35 percent during the pandemic. But people who are watching those numbers are already seeing it come down again. Like, I don't think it's going to go down as low as 15 percent, but there is a sense that people were forced to shop online during the pandemic and they did not like it as much as they thought they would. Um, I think that showrooms in malls make a lot of sense because one of the issues for a lot of people with online shopping is the waste of having to order three sizes of everything. Women in particular, um, you know, women's clothing sizes is very difficult. And so women like order more pieces of clothing and then they're confronted with the waste of all that packaging, the need to return it. And I think a lot of people got really fed up with that.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see if this Black Friday and this holiday shopping season, people rebel um, and some of it's just to get out again. Um, And as you said, Try on that pair of pants. I know I've given up trying to buy shoes online.
1: Yeah, I think there's a tremendous amount of online shopping fatigue and I don't know how that's going to translate into, you know, some resurgence of retail, but I do think that there are signs that companies that bet too heavily that people would just move to online shopping forever are in trouble. And,
0: no, and you don't and the chances of running into a friend or neighbor uh, walking through the food court is much lower online. <laughs> right,
1: which is another thing we miss. I think we miss shopping together. I mean, especially for teenagers, like shopping as a group is kind of an essential activity. But as adults, yeah, we want to run into people casually, say, "Oh, do you have time for coffee?" And that is was part of Victor Gruen's original vision for the mall.
0: All right. well, thanks for spending some time with us.
1: Sure, thank you.
0: That was Alexandra Lang, author of Meet Me by the Fountain, an inside history of the mall. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. We're taking a look at shopping malls this week. Brookfield Properties owns the Tucson Mall. The company is looking to expand local minority-owned businesses renting spaces in its malls through its Partner to Empower program by offering financial assistance, one-on-one guidance, and a four-week crash course on running a retail business. I spoke with Michelle Isabel, who heads up the Partner to Empower program for Brookfield, and Jeff Berger, Senior General Manager at the Tucson Mall. Michelle started by telling us about the program.
2: Well, you know, it's a program that Brookfield started developing in 2020 to help break down the barriers of systemic racism. And we want to be able to provide minority entrepreneurs resources to open stores in our malls. We want to give them the opportunity to create generational wealth, to have something of their own making, and really just to create legacies that will last for years to come.
0: Jeff, on a local level Tucson mall, what's that look like uh, for folks walking through the mall today and and through the holiday season?
3: I have to tell you that this program that we've rolled out as a company is, um, is brilliant, number one, for all the right reasons. Um, and it's very exciting, certainly for them all, because um, since the program rolled out, we've actually accepted two African-American business applications. Um, one being Majestic Jewels, which is an entrepreneur who sells affordable handmade jewelry and Sweet Kisses, a young entrepreneur who sells personalized makeup products. And, you know, when you look at the success of a regional mall, you know, we have 160, 180 stores. Um, It's so important to differentiate ourselves from a lot of what is seen in the mall. And I basically think the success of any regional mall is to create a whole merchandise mix Not only with your typical national stores that you expect to see in every store, but I think the regional and local retailers really is what makes a mall special. And it really allows us to take an important step in escalating the retail opportunities, you know, by assisting minority owned businesses to open retail stores in the mall. Now, how amazing do you think it would be? to somebody to come to the mall and see a store owner that has similar backgrounds to them. And I think that's really what we're trying to get out there, that there's no barriers. Anybody can open a store in a mall with the right support.
0: When I was younger, I remember the mall, you know, pretty much whatever mall you went to, it had the similar anchor stores, it had the similar other stores, it sounds like Jeff, what you're saying, and Michelle, part of this program is to make the malls not so national anymore and more community-reflective.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I won't get into talking about how old I am, because um, I'm definitely older than you. But, you know, growing up, there were not doll babies that looked like me. There were not people doing commercials that look like me. There were not people in your jobs that look like me, you know, and certainly very, very few entrepreneurs Who look like me or my family members. So, yeah, how wonderful is it to be able to go into a shopping center, you know, to have people who look like me or who are Hispanic or Native American, Asian? You know, to me, everyone does better when you add diversity. So, we want to. Add more diversity to our shopping centers. We want to add more diversity to our the communities that we serve, you know, making them better, making them all inclusive. So this program helps to do that. Does it solve all of the problems? Absolutely not. But we are off to a fantastic start, and we're looking forward to continuing this.
0: Jeff, talk if you can from a local mall perspective about what a difference it makes, again, changes in the malls compared to 2010 or even five years ago, getting small local businesses that look like the local populace into a mall. It
3: takes a lot of effort to do it, and we have you know great teams of people that strive to introduce that diversity into the property. Michelle has done an amazing job spearheading the national program for our company. And we're definitely able to work off of her expertise and all of the stuff that she has done to really bring it to the local level. And like I said, since we rolled it out a few months ago, we've already had two very successful applicants that we're going through right now. And um, we see as we reintroduce it again next year, once we get through the holidays, I think that the two applicants is hopefully will turn into six applicants.
0: Michelle, what have you seen nationwide as the company has rolled out this program?
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, um, I've seen that, that there are a number of very successful minority entrepreneurs already you know, who are looking to expand, who are looking to grow. And with these resources that we're able to provide, you know, we can help them grow and expand faster, you know, especially through our portfolio. I've seen so much diversity out there from hat shops to shoe stores to nail salons to um, fitness studios, you know, so it's amazing when you take a look at what minority retailers have to offer.
0: What are you hearing from, I guess, the other important part of this equation the customers the folks walking through the malls as they start to see different stores with different faces in their local malls
3: they love it i mean you know the feedback from the consumer has been nothing short of overwhelming i mean we get constant positive feedback Uh, they'll stop in the office they'll comment of what a great group of diverse retailers you have. We thank you for that. It's fun coming here. It's not your typical one national store after another national store. And um, it's very, very well received and it's working very, very well. So th- that's the rewarding part for me. You know, um, you know, Michelle sits in the corporate office and, and Spears head the, heads the program. And I get to reap the rewards from that because I'm hands-on with the consumers and hands-on with these retailers.
2: And you know what, Jeff, you you do get to um, reap the benefits of the customers who come through daily, but I will tell you that customers see this happening and they go and tell somebody. You know, they go and tell a neighbor who may be um starting an online business or they go tell a relative who has a small store open somewhere they really communicate about the program that we're offering and people start to apply so word of mouth has been great just from the customers throughout our shopping centers
0: that was michelle isabel and jeff berger talking about the partner to empower program run by the tucson mall's parent company brookfield properties While some malls are rethinking how they do business, others are rethinking what they are altogether. In late 2018, the Pima County Board of Supervisors approved a zoning change to the 51 acres where the Foothills Mall currently sits. The mall's owner, Born Companies, was proposing a remodel that would completely demolish large portions of the existing mall and rebuild it as a mixed-use area with multi-unit housing, shops, restaurants, and entertainment. We spoke with Bourne's Dylan Walker about the project, and I started by asking him about what has happened in the four years since that plan was okayed by the county.
4: Bourne Companies is very excited about the continuation of this redevelopment plan. Um, We've been working hard over the last four years to really shape and continue shaping what that redevelopment is going to look like, and we're very excited to be uh, imminently on the precipice of beginning that redevelopment plan. As you know, the mall's very large. We've had to go through the process of relocating certain tenants or making um, agreements with those tenants, and that's really been a core activity for the last four years, and now we're finally through all of that and getting ready to uh, break ground here in the new year.
0: In late 2019, you all were expected to start construction on this. So, what what happened in late 2019 that has put that off?
4: Yeah, I think there's. I mean, there's a number of factors in in the process of uh, of doing such a such a large project. We've actually modified the plans a little bit uh, for the better. We've also reevaluated some of the way that we can utilize the site to create more density, more opportunities for um, new and interesting retail and food and beverage mixes. So I think 2019, there was a, um, you know, an, an opportunity to, to begin some of that work. And I think we're better for it by having a, a more comprehensive picture of that work. And now we're actually able, as we get started here in 2023, uh, to really take a holistic and full view of the project. Project will be rolled out in phases. um, With the first phase being, of course, a large demolition of the uh, existing site, which uh, will be really exciting to see. I mean, in the sense of progress, because it'll be so tangible, like most of them all will be demolished. Um, And then we'll begin with our phase one buildings, which are um, residential and retail in mix. Um, We're also very excited about our continuation in planning because. There's a lot of space we can reuse, reuse, and readapt as well. So the Barnes and Noble building, as people may know it, uh, is going to be a real staple for this um, project. Um, and while we don't have public-facing uh, plans just yet, um, I'm excited to kind of share that uh, kind of ahead of that uh, news um, that it'll be a really amazing adaptive reuse of that building. Um, so lots happening, lots has lots has changed in the last four years uh, on this plan, and I think that the nature of what happened in 2019 is really for the better, I think, all in all. Of course, when
0: people hear demolition, that's kind of exciting. Do we have a date uh, that everybody can come and, and, and see it happen?
4: <laughs> so I don't have a date for you today, Chris, but um, uh, it will be it will be happening early 2023. We have scheduled our pre-demolition activities to happen, so it is, it is for sure happening. And we will, of course, uh, let the community know Uh, so that we can all enjoy that sort of exciting milestone uh, for this project.
0: So you said the plan still includes residential retail mix. Over the last few years, you've also said some things have changed. So what does the larger plan look like at this point?
4: Yeah, of course, the larger plans subject to continued change, just as we continue to evolve and evaluate the highest and best use of, of the property. We're taking real care and stewardship of the progress of this property. Born companies actually owned the mall back in uh, the 90s and uh, turned it into a real powerhouse. We sold it, <laughs> kind of uh, went through the retail tumble, and now we've got the property again. So our next iteration of this property is going to be really focused on um, meeting market demand and sort of meeting an opportunity to do something really special with the site and build something that Tucson's never seen before. So this campus, as we're kind of looking at it, uh, to be is uh, is really quite remarkable in terms of what we're going to p- put on this um, on this property. So the resident, the plan hasn't changed <laughs> where the buildings go and what we exactly do with them has uh, morphed uh, over the time. But this will be um, a residential, uh, retail, food and beverage, hospitality, and entertainment mix. Um, we're also inc- incorporating a large uh, health and wellness plan for the for the site. So we'll have eventually, as we build this out, connection to the Pima County Loop, Chuck Huckleberry Loop, as well as um, a one mile sort of walking trail.
0: This is not in what anybody would call a downtown urban area. You're more out in the suburbs. Is this kind of what you all are seeing as the future, uh, if you will, of of suburbs and when you have large plots of land or, that are doing one thing and maybe not
4: doing them well anymore? Yeah, we like to think so. So the, the project, the little teaser that we're excited to to share, folks may have heard, but the, the project's called Uptown, and we're really trying to revitalize a, an idea of destination retail, destination entertainment. And that's really what malls were. We think that has to be dense, um, urban feeling. It has to have the amenities. And so we're trying to bring that to this project and really create an environment that's super safe, super enjoyable, um, and you sort of have a one-stop shop for all of this at great activities. Additionally, we want people to live on site and have this sort of downtown experience or this urban dense experience in the suburbs and have access to other things like Catalina State Park. And we see it with other properties in Tucson as well, but our project is definitely uh, one of the most ambitious redevelopments um, that we've certainly identified.
0: One of the big anchors there right now, of course, is that AMC movie theater. Will they be open during the whole reconstruction or, or is that something that's moving on?
4: Yeah, great question. AMC is here to stay. We're very happy with uh, the partnership with AMC in the sense of uh, of their um, inclusion in the project. They will be staying open throughout the project. We've created a plan that keeps them open, and they're very excited to continue at the location. We heard a lot
0: during the pandemic about uh, supply chain issues, and even now talking to folks who were trying to do major construction projects. like uh, Yeah, steel's hard to get. Construction materials are hard to get. Any concerns on that for you all?
4: Of course, we're just like any other development company concerns about the rising of of, uh, costs. Um, But you know, that's the name of the game here. So we're um, certainly hitting it head on with strategies to mitigate it and and deal with it. Um, But Beyond that, I mean, this project has obviously been in the making for a long time. We're highly committed to it, and I don't think that any of those uh, challenges are really in our way beyond having to deal with them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We talked a little bit about when things start. What's the hoped for, and with construction, it's always hoped for, completion date on all of this?
4: So we have we have very long term visions um, for for the final uh, product, if you will. But phase one um, will set sail in 2023. We expect by late 2024 that we'll be opening doors um, on phase one's construction. Um, with with one exception, we have that adaptive reuse area that we may be able to open in late 2023. And there's a um, a very successful uh, country music bar there called Whiskey Roads. They're staying open as well. We also have what's called the North Shops, which will be kind of the very, very, very front of phase one on the far north side, um, those are actually also staying open.
0: In this day of everybody watching house flipping shows and stuff, it sounds like uh, you're still living in the house while you're flipping it in this case.
4: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) It's called Mall Flippers. You can see it on AMC. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Awesome. Thanks,
0: Chris. That was Dylan Walker with Born Companies, who is redeveloping the Foothills Mall. And that's The Buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer with production help from Samantha Larnett. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening.
2: Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.